Hi, and welcome back to the How to Decorate podcast from Ballard Designs. We want to teach you how to decorate your home and unleash your inner decorator. So we'll be interviewing interior designers, stylists, and other talents of the design world, sharing the trials and triumphs of our own homes, and also answering your decorating questions. I'm Caroline. I run the Ballard Designs blog, How to Decorate. And I'm Karen. Yeah. I had a branding at Ballard. And we're your hosts. Hey. sick today and it's her loss because oh my we have an awesome guest so awesome thank you <laughs> well we'll see yeah okay withhold your judgment <laughs> so today's guest is celebrated los angeles designer madeline stewart you're also a member of the ad 100 you're on the l l decor's a list your work has been featured in gallery magazine veranda architectural digest town and country many more and you just published a brand new book, No Place Like Home, with Rizzoli. Stunning book. Thank ah, you very welcome. much. Welcome. Thank yes. you. It was a book I worked two and a half years on, and the photography took us a little more than two years, and then writing the book took me six months, which I, I now have much greater respect for my husband, who's a writer. I thought, oh, this will be a snap. <laughs> and I don't understand why he sits at home sweating blood and tears every single day. Uh, now I realize that writing is very hard and it was much more challenging than I ever anticipated. But that, I'm very proud that I did it. That was yeah. one of the magical things I think about the book was it definitely had a distinct voice and it was yeah. humorous. And I was telling Caroline, I felt like the copy was uh, as interesting as the photos and, you know, you. so informative, but still entertaining. And I, I just loved it. And beautifully written, I, yeah. especially since you're not a writer. I, it was well done. I think, yeah. Thank you. Thank, I, I know that a lot of people don't read these decorating books. They're filled with pretty pictures. And mine has 250 pages of pretty pictures. And I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm delighted about that. Yeah. But I wanted it to be my voice. And so mm -hmm. it is funny and it's smart and it's informative, but it's a, it's a great read. It's not sonorous and somber and I don't take any of this too seriously how can I possibly we're just decorating after all yeah. so it is fun to read through it and hopefully people get something out of it and hopefully they learn something which mm -hmm. is really important to me I think that if you don't read it you're really missing out because you would miss so many of the amazing details that are in these houses because for example um one of them it looks like it was built in the 1930s, but it's brand new. There's so many intricate details, like the is this this Spanish one? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The powder room that looks like it's tiled, but it's hand painted. Hand painted. I mean, you would. And not, what about the guy who told you that he remembered being in that house as a child, and you were like, "Okay, yeah. we just built it." Right, right. That was <laughs> that was hilarious, and I I didn't even have the heart to correct him because he was so convinced that uh, that he'd been in that house when he was a young boy, and the the. Um, the powder room, in fact, it's one of my favorite rooms that I've ever done. And it it took us six months to design it. It took the artist virtually living in the room for six months to, uh, to, to hand paint all those tiles. And you're right. If you flip through the book, you would never, mm -mm. Uh, you would never yeah. know that that was uh, that each one of those squares was individually painted, painstakingly painted, and then mm -hmm. we 
grouted it, even though there's no tile. Uh, the, the each tile was um, painted in gesso, so it was it had a uh, it was actually raised. raised. It was proud okay. from the wall, and then she went back and grouted it, and then lacquered the whole room so that they would look like glossy ceramic tiles. But you're right; if you didn't read the book, you would just think, "Oh, that's nice collection of Isnik tiles." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next. And didn't you say also that your workman didn't? had wanted to use a special drill to drill through yes. the tile, even though we're like, it's just painted. And he, and he kept saying, I, honey, I can't, I can't hang this mirror. He probably didn't say honey. He probably said lady. Yeah. <laughs> lady, you, you understand I can't drill through this tile with a regular drill, but it was like, no, you see, it's just painted gesso and plaster. You know, I, I told you I need to use a special drill. You know, sometimes um, uh, women decorators are, treated as silly bellies. Mm. You know, we're not taken seriously. <laughs> and this was a guy who just was not yeah. going to take me seriously. Awesome. Well, I felt like I felt like the rooms, it, this might sound really weird, but I felt like they were very intellectual. Like it is a, it's a study. Like you, hmm, how, how do I describe this? Each home, I mean, first off, each home in the book is its own little magical world. And and there are definitely, definitely themes Amongst the 13 homes, 13, right? I think. Eight. Eight. eight I'm sorry. Eight, eight homes. 13. That's okay. Um, but they're all so very unique. And the the whole story, I mean, I, I was talking to Karen, like, which one is your favorite? It's- I, what I wanted to explore in this book is what I deeply care about, which is authenticity, historical precedent and references, and the idea that each one of these homes so distinctly represents the owners, the architecture, the site, the lifestyle of these clients, that this isn't just a matter of having a particular style that I consider my own and applying it from house to house to house to house. And I think that's wonderful. And I think the people Mm -hmm. who work that way they're so confident in what they do and the look that they have established that they're able to apply it all across the board. For me, I'm someone, I love history and I love art history and I love literature and I love um, I love the idea that I can incorporate all of these different influences from my entire life and explore a completely new language and in, in fact, invent a vocabulary that can be a that can be used to tell a story. So when I was hired to do an arts and crafts house, I wanted to learn everything I could about arts and crafts, architecture, design, textiles, furniture, so that I could tell a story using that vocabulary. So there, everything is researched. I actually love the part of my job Mm -hmm. where I get to research and learn something new Every time. I, I literally jotted that down. Historian slash student. That was my takeaway from the book. Oh. That, well, I, I told Caroline I felt a little intimidated after reading it about talking to you because you clearly know a lot <coughs> about a lot of things. I mean, you go in there and you study and I know you a little out. about mm. a lot of things. Well, compared <laughs> to me. Yeah. But it, it's so impressive. I mean, I imagine if every job is that encompassing that it, it would take forever. Are they all that? Do they all require that much study? Um, <laughs> they don't all require that much study, but I do. I love to be so fully engaged in a project, and I love to explore new ideas, and I love to 
do it differently each time out. So even if a house I'm doing doesn't have some historical precedent or it's not in the Hispano-Moresque style or I don't have to learn about Islamic patterns, uh, there's still... I still may design my own wicker and Uh have somebody make Uh a, a custom wicker chair because... For me, it's a little more of a challenge, and it's a lot more interesting, and I love finding unique and incredibly special things that bring my interiors to life. So in the same way that your your clients, your customers, the people who go mm-hmm. through the catalog, there may be a beautiful room that's featured on one of your pages. And yes, you could probably go and buy that lamp and that chair and that rug and that sofa. But to call yeah. things from a different page, right. from a different setting, from not, an antique, and, something and you collected, yeah. something you know that isn't in that room, but that you identify with or you find a passion for, mm-hmm. that ultimately makes it their own. It makes it completely authentic and unique to that person. And these aren't houses that I get to live in. (laughs) They have to reflect the people who live there. Mm -hmm. So I never want anyone to walk into a house that I've done and say, oh my gosh, this looks so much like another house I saw, or um, this looks like so-and-so's the work of of so and so designer i i don't want there to be such a heavy hand that that points to me right. in each space i want it to be more about the client and who they are and how they want to live and how they want to express themselves and yes there's been a there's been a helping hand there there's no question this isn't <laughs> something they could have uh, concocted on their own, right. but I just don't want to. I don't want my name to be the one in lights over the front door. It's their mm-hmm. house after all. And you, I read that you said that 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 sort of collected thing is what gives a room a heartbeat and a soul, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, right. because I think it, they were asking, "Well, do you fill, fill it up with the furniture that you've designed?" You're like, "No, no, 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 no. I, we can't do that." It oh, I feel be- I, of course, I design furniture. I have my own furniture collection, but I feel like just calling from my own collection is is cheating. <laughs> um, it's that's That would be easy. Right. And heaven forbid I should do it the easy way. I have to take the <laughs> hardest road possible. Well, you you talk in, in there about how you sort of feel like you're reinventing the wheel every time. and Not I, a smart business model, let me assure you. <laughs> well, I thought that was so interesting because, and, you know, like we just said, each house is, is very unique in, to, in and of itself. But surely, especially with the... Um, exercise of compiling all these homes together, seeing them side by side, are there overall um, overarching, I guess, themes? I hate to say themes or trends or anything, but things that you see over and over in your work that you feel like this is... A through line, maybe. Yes. Yeah. This is what is sort of my... Not style because they're all in the, you know, they're, they're so unique. Yeah. But yeah, things that you go back to over and over again. There are certain fabrics that I gravitate towards. There's no question. I love linen velvets. I love Fortuny. I love linen. Um, I like 
relatively simple drapery treatments. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm, I love festooning windows with fabrics, but I don't do elaborate swags and jabots and, and bullion fringe. And quite frankly, many of my projects are in Los Angeles and that would look ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Heavy drapery treatments in LA are anathema. We live with open doors and open windows and people, uh, kids, dogs, everyone coming in and out, mm-hmm. you know, giant panels Mm -hmm. of fabric would look absurd uh, in that environment. So my drapery treatments are are relatively simple. I love vintage lighting. I was going to say that. That is, oh, I stole your line. (laughs) No, I was just thinking if you were going to be a a dealer, you'd probably sell lighting. I love (laughs) love vintage lighting. I am obsessed. And there's one of those projects has over 400 light fixtures. And virtually all of them are different. I have another project, the one, uh, the Spanish Revival. um, That's the Spanish Revival house. Forgive me, the the one in La Jolla, the Mm, the Hispano-Moresque. Beach well, house, yes, right. loosely, <laughs> loosely termed beach house that has, I think, three hundred fixtures. I love finding unique pieces that really set a tone. They, they're, they're jewelry, mm-hmm. and you certainly wouldn't wear the same jewelry with every outfit, even though I never take these rings off. <laughs> um, but you, there's something about the opportunity to to decorate a room using lighting that is yeah. that's that really has to be my um my signature i would think and well, it appears to mostly be vintage yes there's not a lot of new lighting in any of these projects that i noticed there's not a lot uh-huh do there's you rewire a lot, a lot of I stuff i love that I rewire every single piece I buy. <laughs> and I imagine some of your lighting, your lighting, your lighting guys. I have a yeah, yeah. a workroom that uh, you know that's very grateful for my patronage. Let's just say that <laughs> you have to rewire everything. Uh, certainly by code, most electricians won't install something that hasn't been UL wired for mm. issues of liability. And and we we buy things that are funky, junky, and we might refinish them, we might replate them, we might change the the scale, the back plate, the height of the candle, we add shades, we we do all kinds of things. And mm-hmm. so as a result, there, not everything gets walked straight from the store <laughs> right. uh, to the job site. Right. A lot of it needs needs care and attention before it can be <laughs> hung or or you know, mounted. Mm-hmm. It seems like architecture too. It, I know that most of these projects you're working very tightly or very closely with the architect themselves, but each of, a lot of the rooms have, um, I guess, more decorative architectural details that you have a hand in, in like there were, you know, um, hand painting and like a coffered ceiling and sort of like the tile, hand painted tile. And so it's almost as though the furnishings themselves they're beautiful and exquisite on their own, but they're kind of um, they're supporting. The, cast, yes, they're maybe, the supporting for the, cast for the house for the lighting and the sort of the more of the shell, I guess. I think a lot of the projects we actually do we do the interior architecture. Oh. So my firm, in the case of the house in La Jolla, we were responsible for every last bit of architectural detailing. So we designed the ceilings, we designed the plaster moldings, we designed the doors, we designed the, the flooring patterns, the tile patterns, the, the bronze hardware that we had cast by hand 
was taken from some vintage original pieces that we then uh, mutated and uh, enlarged and um, adapted for this house. So in that case, it, virtually every single bit of the architecture was the responsibility of my firm. And that Gosh. one I'm extremely proud of because the ceilings are remarkably complex. Some of them are hand-run plaster moldings. Some of them are very elaborate wood patterns, the doors, the cabinetry. It, it, was, it was a four and a half year effort. And our, our set of drawings is a work of art. It is an absolute accomplishment that I may not see again in my lifetime, but it's something that I was very grateful to be a part of. Mm -hmm. So and the, in the Arts and Crafts House, we did a lot of the architectural detailing as well. So I love decorating, but I also love architecture. And yeah. I, I know architects are, are just squirming at the sound of that because the last <laughs> thing they want is a decorator saying, oh, yes, I love taking over the architectural <laughs> responsibilities. But... <laughs> I have some very talented people that I work with, and this is not just me pretending uh, to wield a pencil and a scale and a, and, and a CAD program and saying, oh, yes, I can be an architect, too. That's not quite the case. <laughs> However, I think in uh, very often the architects want to be responsible for the exterior of a building and the shell of a building, but the interior designer... Mm is often the interior architect. We, not in every case, but in many cases, we will take over the architectural design of the interiors. And a lot of the times the architects, they can't be bothered. Mm -hmm. And they also don't have as much concern about just how far is the WC from right, the, the bed, livability. Right. or mm -hmm. is there a place for a television in that room or where, what wall is the bed going to be placed on? So I think a lot of times the designer's role as, as part of the architectural team is overlooked or not as uh, well established. Mm -hmm. And yet we're doing a lot of that work on the client's behalf because a house needs to live, a room needs to function. And I, I find that architects sometimes just can't be bothered or they're just not that interested mm -hmm. in uh, in that that level of functionality. Right. It's more about how the windows look from the curbside. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think especially with the homes you're working on, that, and this is obviously because of your effort, but the level of detail is just like beyond your wildest dreams, I think. Agreed. Like, I mean, it's hard to even, so one of, um, which was, this was the new um, 30s one that we were mentioning earlier. That one, you said, oh, I know where I got the number 13. There were 13 bathrooms, weren't there? In the, in the Spanish Revival House, there are 18. In the in the La Jolla House, there are 13. That's what I'm talking The one that you Somehow know, they make do. I, I don't know yeah, how they, right? I don't know Is how it they a manage. dorm? Yeah. <laughs> but somehow they're able to live with just the 13 bathrooms. We all make accommodations. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> you have a page that shows, I don't know, it was like four or six. Oh, the all six on one of page. the Zalige, the Zalige bathrooms. Those I was struck by how different they are, despite it's like, how does one come up with 13 unique, exquisite bathrooms that all look like they could be in the same house? I right. mean, without them looking at all the same. That just seems like 
That's so hard. So fun for me. <laughs> my my next book absolutely has to be a book of bathrooms. I don't know what it is because I I do so many bathrooms and it not it's not just because all these houses have so many bathrooms, but I, that is the that is such a, a happy fun thing for me to design. And in that house, we yes we went a little bit mad with all the Zalige tile, but the, and the opportunity to design some of the patterns was so fabulous. And the opportunity to make each one uniquely different yet using this, uh, this very ancient material, which is yeah. still made in, in Morocco, which is still uh, created from the backside, the way they chip away at the, uh, to make the shapes is from the reverse side, oh. which is really fascinating. So if you cool. ever get a chance to see them actually fabricated, it's, it's really, um, it's really quite extraordinary. But the idea that we got to <laughs> express this idea and each cabinet was different and each color was different and each light fixture was different. And, I'm not saying it's something you toss off, uh, right? you know, with an hour's or two attention. Some of those cabinet designs took quite a while. And just to create them was really an, uh, an effort that was most impressive. The cabinet maker yeah. really got a chance to shine in a lot of those bathrooms. But uh, so did the tile setter. And I'm sure some of them were cursing me right. from start to finish. Like, lady. Yeah, lady. (laughs) Your favorite term. (laughs) Well, I noticed, and I feel like in at least two of the houses, I know one, but I feel like two in my head, where you noted that there was an item that you purchased that kind of spearheaded the whole idea for the design. I remember one specifically was a rug, I think, in a dining room. I can't remember the other example. Well, one was a a pair of Sergio Rodriguez chairs, these rosewood and black leather Mm. chairs that are... In the Montana house. In the Montana house, Mm. exactly. And those were the first thing we found. And the client, we were walking through a shop, and the client gravitated towards those, which I loved. Uh, Sergio Rodriguez, um, who I do not believe is still living, but if he is, my apologies and and (laughs) good health to you, sir. Um, Happy to stand corrected on that one. Brazilian architect and furniture maker. If he is alive, he must be in his late 80s. He designed a lot of his furniture in the 1960s and 70s. These chairs date to the 70s, and they are big, hulking, cumbersome, bordering on not attractive if you... (laughs) looked at them in a certain light, Mm -hmm. but they are fabulously comfortable and they are so quirky and unique and all made by hand. And they became the jumping off point for the entire project. And there are some other Sergio Rodriguez pieces in there. And even though I know what they are and the client now knows what they are and people who have an eye for these things, certainly can appreciate them. What's most important to me, however, is that her husband comes in and flops down in that chair, and it might as well be a Barca lounger. Mm -hmm. It might as well be Archie Bunker's chair in the Mm -hmm. living room. It is the most comfortable chair in the house, and that's where he wants to sit. So I love things that look great, but over my dead body, will I bring in a piece of furniture that you can't, sit or relax or read or have a a dinner that lasts two, three hours. 
everything's got to be comfortable mm-hmm. and yeah. it has to be livable. And I love beautiful, delicate, dainty, charming, exquisite pieces of furniture, but I can't voice that upon someone if I wouldn't <laughs> want to sit there right. yeah. and and spend the spend the evening or the afternoon in that in that seat. That's I just can't do it. So yeah. everything I everything I do has to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So that's the chairs. And in the case of the rug, that was a, a rug by Emile Godessart, the artist in the 1920s in Paris. And we brought that rug in. We laid it over a dusty floor in the middle of a construction site. And it had been sent from New York to Los Angeles. And not on a whim, but on the hope that it might work. And in spite of the fact that it was, the house was in full-blown disarray, we knew instantly that this was going to set the tone and the palette and the mood for the entire house, my streamlined okay. modern project. That house has got to be one of the... Um, well, I could say this about almost every house in the book, <laughs> but that house is so freaking cool. I mean, so will you tell them a little bit about the history? I mean, we don't really have to like go as deep as you do in the intro in my project. Text. Yeah, but... Um, but quickly, I'll say that Cedric Gibbons who worked as the art director for MGM Studio in its heyday, during the heyday of the MGM musicals, and all of the great films that came out of Hollywood during that period. He was the art director. He he designed the sets for The Wizard of Oz, which even if you haven't seen all of the other movies he designed, everybody has seen The Wizard of Oz and knows those sets uh, backwards and forwards. He also designed the Oscar statuette, the much-coveted mm, Academy Award. I love that. I love you. So he, he, he won 11. He won and he designed 11. It and then, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to design this award, and then I'm going to be to win it 39 times, and then I'm going to win it. <laughs> Dang it, 11 times, more than anyone. And he set out to design a house for himself, and a woman who, at the time, his wife was considered the most beautiful woman in Hollywood, Dolores Del Rio. She was a Mexican-born actress. And spoiler alert, she ended up having an affair with Orson Welles, and they separated, and she went back to Mexico and became a much more famous actress there than she ever did in Hollywood. But this was the period of streamlined modern architecture, which is not to be mistaken for Art Deco, which is also wonderful, but highly embellished and a lot more, um, uh, you know, a lot more fanciful and Mm -hmm. full of flourishes and curlicues and floral, um, geometric floral motifs and things that we associate now with that term. But this is very stripped down, very austere, very severe almost, Mm -hmm. and yet so serene. Uh, The floors are high, high polished black linoleum. We had to rip out every inch of the 5,500 square feet, which were full of asbestos and cracking and they deteriorated uh, over 80 years. So every square inch was put back. And along Did with- Did you restore it or you just replaced it? We we had to replace it. Okay. It All had right. to be- um, It had to be removed and replaced. Okay. And not only did it have to be replaced with new black linoleum, after all the furniture was installed and we had our big ta-da moment and the clients oh, were God. so thrilled and so delighted, we all looked at each other and said, Mm-mm, they're not shiny enough. 
they are not a mirror polish. And if you can't see Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers dancing across these floors, then they're just not right. So we moved all the furniture out, all the rugs out, and had someone come back in and polish them so that you could you could put on your lipstick in the reflection of these floors. They are they are shine to a mirror brightness, and they are beautiful. Not easy to maintain. Right. Uh, I'm glad that I'm not the one with the Swiffer <laughs> <laughs> on a daily basis because, uh, well, black Don't have a white are like cat a, in that house. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're like a black car. Every speck of dust is just magnified when it lands on that floor. But they are committed, and they were committed to restoring this house so that the alterations that we did, the restorations, the remodeling, and the additions were absolutely seamless. You cannot tell where the house originally ended and where the where the addition begins. And that is not appropriate in terms of historical renovation and restoration. Um, you are ostensibly directed to make sure that future generations know exactly where the transition occurred mm-hmm. between the old and the new so that people can, in the future, discern what the original house was oh. and what was done to it. Right. But that seems so antithetical to someone who's a restorationist at heart. Why would I want there to be a discernible difference between right. the original and what I've done? Yeah. I don't want to be the one with blood on my hands. I want I want. I want it to be seamless. Right. So, so it is. <laughs> yes, it, it is. It, it, it's interesting, especially with that house, because so much of the interior furnishings were, did feel very um, specific to the period, even if they weren't actually specific to the period. But it still felt so livable to today, too. So, I, I don't know. I was wondering how you strike that balance because, you know, most people don't say I'm going to walk into my house and feel like I'm living in the 30s. But and in some ways you did, but in some ways you didn't. So I think I think in the case of that house, I don't think that you need to decorate with French furniture in a French house or an English furniture in an English house. Um, you know, these aren't period rooms at the Met. And so you don't have to be so um so specific. I, the term I, I like to use is referential, not reverential, that we're not being slavish to a, to a specific period. And, but I wanted to invoke some of the artists and artisans and furniture mm-hmm. of that time, or I wanted to evoke that time by incorporating those pieces so that you do get a wink and a nod to it, Right. They still have to be comfortable. They still have to be fabrics that feel good and and aren't so fragile that no one wants to sit down for fear of of spoiling the the look or soiling the the white satin. Um, right. That's not how people live today. But in the arts and crafts house that I did, I wanted to incorporate furniture from yeah. that period, and I wanted to incorporate arts and crafts furniture, but not be so predictable in it as to only use Stickley or Limbert or the people who are most associated with that Mm -hmm. specific period in America. I wanted to use French arts and crafts and English and Chinese and and Danish and Swedish so that it didn't feel so heavy and and stolid and museum-like. This isn't, this is a home where people 
live and entertain and kids are running through and right you and know, you designed dogs. upholstery for that so that there was a, like a comfy sofa to that's lounge right. on yeah. that's right and we may have had the fabrics hand woven by an artisan in Brooklyn. We may have. <laughs> we, might, we might have. Not saying I did. I'm just saying we might have. But I, I do love textiles and mm-hmm. I love I love the art of hand weaving. I love the I love the art of the hand. I love things that are that represent the humanist participation in that piece of furniture. There right. was someone who made that. And you can tell that that there was uh, uh, the there was training, there was artistry, there was artisanship. There there is the evidence of of the human hand in something. I, that's very special, and you know, it may be a very simple piece. It may be a piece of furniture. It may be a yard of <laughs> fabric. It may be a hand woven rug that was made in Oaxaca. But it's the idea that. There are still people out there who are practicing their craft and and who are yeah. who are doing it with their own hands. I think that's really quite valuable and quite mm-hmm. uh, quite important for me to to honor and to incorporate into my interiors. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned not wanting it to feel like a museum, but there was one home in this book that kind of could have been a museum in the quality of the artwork. They had on the walls. And oh, I yeah. had so oh, many my. questions based on this house about the artwork. I was curious who chose what to hang where. So the they came with their collection. Yes, they are big art collectors. Came with their collection. They designed this house too for their collection. That is correct. Who chose where the art? You know which rooms the artwork was going to go in. How did what the plan was that come together? Yes, how did it come? Yeah. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I have got an answer to that. That is why you're here. The the clients have an extraordinary collection. There's no question. And they lived in an English Tudor house where the the artwork was hung cheek by jowl. You couldn't see a darn thing because it was all, they'd been collecting for years. They inherited part of their collection and things were, had no room to breathe. So they decided to build a house specifically for their collection, but it was very important that it was a family house. They have grandchildren. Uh, they, you know, they entertain. They have fundraisers. This again was not meant to be museum-like in in terms of its livability or or lack thereof. And right. I know many art collectors whose homes look like museums. This needed to be a family house. So this also happened to be a family that had a a 10-foot-high Morris Lewis painting and a, a 10-foot-high Mark Bradford painting. And so the, the living room had to be um, it had to be scaled to accommodate those artworks. So the living room ceilings are 12 feet high. The doors had to be large enough to be able to bring the artwork <laughs> in. And in fact, they built scale models. Then they built full-scale models of the doorways with uh, with um, essentially a stretched canvas, not the actual painting, <laughs> but something of a, a, a facsimile of the painting in, in in scale, full scale, to go through the doorway at an angle to make sure beyond the shadow of a doubt that that painting would fit through that doorway because the client was just not going to take the architect's word for it or right. the contractor's word for it. <laughs> but in the case of where to hang, aside from those two pieces, and the room was really designed around those two pieces, we did 
Uh, we did scaled maquettes of every single piece of artwork. All the artwork was inventoried and measured. And we did little um, scale maquettes. And on the elevations, it was like paper dolls, uh, but paper dolls with a Picasso, paper dolls right. with yeah. a David Hockney, paper yeah. dolls with an Ed Roche, paper dolls with whoever the, the the piece might have been by. And the client would play, essentially, with arranging the artwork in different positions. That said, the art moves. Mm. It moves around the house. Mm -hmm. It is loaned to museums. It's loaned to exhibitions. I just saw the clients the other night, and they said we bought a very important piece. So... It's musical chairs. Well, you said and you everything can decorate around. around it then. You know, you, you weren't going to do a color scheme around an important piece because it might not be there in six months. That's right. right. That's right. It might it might move uh, for many reasons, mm -hmm. um, but you you couldn't you couldn't count on something staying in one spot forever. Mm -hmm. So there are a few things that are actually probably not going anywhere because they are wired to the wall um, <laughs> as good, lest anyone think about just, you know, picking that up and walking out. Uh, there's a there's a tiny little Calder stubble on a table in the living room. That it's, Parsons table? That Jean-Michel Franck tortoise lacquer Parsons mm, table. Gorgeous. And I've told this to the client, if they ever notice it's missing, <laughs> just come on by, knock on my door. I, if, my I, if I haven't made my way to, you know, Istanbul by then, uh, I'll hand it back. But that's one of the one of the things that I, if I were light fingered at all, I would just I would just tuck it in my handbag because it's so little and it's because so yeah, cute. Like eight inches. It's so <laughs> sweet. Oh yeah, it's true. I'm not even sure it's eight inches. It might be fit in the handbag I've got right over there, and uh, I would I would happily take that out and put that. Not I don't have a Jean Michel Franck. Uh, tortoiseshell lacquer. You need a bigger table. handbag, but uh, <laughs> or a bigger budget. Take both. Or a bigger budget if I could buy one of my own one day, perhaps. But they have they. These are people who love their art and they live with their art. Again, the idea of being able to wake up and walk into a room and see pieces of of such such exquisite quality and such yeah. amazing beauty. Uh, I, I don't know what that's like, but I know what it's like to be able to spend time in those rooms and to have had the honor of helping them create a house, mm -hmm. a home, a home really for their collection. Right. It, it's pretty hard to imagine that dining room, though, without that artwork. There was the... I don't um, remember it. Mike, remind how me. I remember the dining room. I don't room. know. It had the. Well, it had a. It, it had, had a Roy Lichtenstein, Lichtenstein over the fireplace, uh -huh. and it's this, flanked by two. Oh, the two Ellsworth shaped. Kelly uh, yes. shaped canvases. Mm -hmm. And what you don't see in the bay window is an enormous John Chamberlain sculpture on a pedestal, or the Gerhard Victor, or the Mark Tansley, or some of the other pieces that get to occupy that space. Wow. Uh, what What is not photographed is pretty <laughs> is pretty impressive. Um, it goes on and on and on. But um, they're oh very, so very fortunate people. But I'm very fortunate as well to have been able to, to be a part of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pretty amazing experience. Okay, this is just a side note, but I really loved... <laughs> The floral sty styling in that house in particular, it was so um, sculptural. I just love the flowers. Thank I you. <laughs> you know, I styled this book myself, and there are some pictures I look at and I think, 
Mm-mm. If I really? had it to do it over, <gasps> I would do it differently. But the shot of that dining room with those pin cushion proteas, and I so they, cool. there are two Robert Quo vases on the table, and I set those flowers in, walked away. Didn't fuss, didn't know, you know, futzing with them. You know, sometimes you're just constantly moving the flowers mm. and pushing yep. them around and cutting and trimming and doing those. They went in. That's one of my favorite pictures. So the the fact that you mentioned that, I'm so thrilled that you <laughs> noticed. I, Thank I saw you. those and I was like, these, fl- oh my God, the centerpiece <laughs> is amazing. So then I went back through and looked at all the rooms in that house. And every single time I thought, I just love the way it's a, they weren't fussy and they were all about the shapes of the, the flower. I don't know. It was just Thank very you. Pretty. Thank you. I, you know, it was really a challenge. Oftentimes I've been on photo shoots with a stylist, with a producer, and they come with their own ideas, their own agendas. And mm-hmm. uh, very often I, I welcome that. And I think um, they've got a specific eye and they know the magazine they're working for. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the editor in chief, if it's was at the time, Margaret Russell or, or, you know, other editors and that uh, Stephen Drucker or I love Stephen Drucker, um, Michael Boudreaux. Um, they, they, they wanted to see things their way. They had particular ideas about the way they wanted the magazine to look. And so you go along to get along. You're, you're not, I'm not going to stand in the way of a producer who's been sent across the country to style my, my house. And I welcome seeing it through fresh eyes. So it was really an interesting challenge for me. It's like, all right, you go, girl, you you do it now. Right. And yeah. sometimes it was a little daunting I when would, I was, yeah. do, do I put the artichokes in or is that, does everyone <laughs> using artichokes right, these have days? Have I already used artichokes? Have, yeah, have I, exactly. Have I used that orange flower before? Are there too many red flowers in the book? Is it, you know, is this going to, am I going to regret, uh, you know, and some of the, some of the things I did ultimately regret or I didn't put in the book. I went back to Montana. I took Trevor and his assistant and and one of my assistants back to Montana to reshoot the kitchen because my styling had gone berserk. <laughs> I had so much, I'll use the proper word, stuff in that kitchen. It was it was stuffed. There were the bananas over here. There were yellow peppers over here. There were some squash over here. There were some flowers over here. There was a tote bag. There was a thing. There was a bowl. There was a tray. There was a, it, it was like, I, I I lost control completely. Uh And when we looked at the overall picture, what the hell is going on here? Uh There is just too much, too much. So we went back to Montana to reshoot that kitchen and we calmed it way down mm-hmm. and we just took a small slice of that kitchen in a magazine they want to see the whole room they want to see the viking range they want to see the wolf refrigerator or the, right. the sub zero whatever they you're you're you know you you need to honor your advertisers and i understand that in a magazine um, thank heavens for those advertisers thank heavens right. for the magazines that are still extant out there but you you don't have the same mandate in a book. You don't have to do yeah. the kitchen, the master bedroom, the bathroom, the living room. The so that streamlined modern house. We we didn't show the master bedroom, and because we hadn't done the wallpaper yet, and we didn't show the kitchen because we were just about to install a red cork floor, which is 
divine, if I do say so myself. Sounds amazing. By that time, I was already, the book was in layouts and we we didn't have an extra page. In fact, I could have used an extra 50 pages in that book had, um, had I been so fortunate because there were so many pictures that didn't make it. But I not you don't need to see the kitchen in every house, and yeah. you don't need you get enough you know enough about these houses without seeing realize, every last room. I didn't even realize we didn't see the kitchen. There was a, until you just said it. I wouldn't have the dining even, room in the Jackson Hole house was left out. I missed it. I, I must have gone through the galleys at one point, and <laughs> and it got left out by mistake. And the book got published. And when I opened the book, my very first time, where's where's the dining room? Where's that dining room? That beautiful close-up of the chair and the table. Missed it. So maybe that'll be in my next book. Maybe you never know. But I did love that house. That oh, the, the Montana the Jackson Hole. The one you said was the ugliest house in Jackson Hole that it you was. turned into probably the most beautiful house in Jackson Hole. It was. I don't know. It. Well, so I love how you talked in the beginning in the intro into this section. No Ralph Lauren fantasies, no plaid, no antlers. No log chairs. Yes. And it it really did feel very mountainy, but not because of any of those typical mountain, you know, accents. But I don't know. It's just so yummy. The view and the all the texture. It was a study in texture, really. So maybe that's that's very that's very astute why thank you Carol, for for setting me on that on that conversational course I look uh, Ralph Lauren does what he does better than anybody but that look has become so cliched the red plaid the Remington sculptures the antler chandeliers the you know, I, I get it. And and it and there, I'm sure there's a place for it. And um, this client didn't want that. And I didn't want that. And she wanted to introduce a modernism to this house. And I, I will say there's now more and more of that uh, that you'll see in Jackson and Montana and so forth. But when we started this project, 12, which was 12 years in the making to finally finish this house, we, we did the house in stages. We um, we took down whole sections of the house and then rebuilt them from the ground up just so that she could have Christmas there with her family uh, year after year after year. So she didn't want to take down the whole thing at one time. But at the time, it was more unusual for us to incorporate things like Paul McCobb and Philip and Kelvin Laverne tables and um, Rob Sean Gibbings and some more modernist pieces and textures. There is... Goatskin and sheepskin and and lamb's wool and beaver. (laughs) Peta lovers, please don't hate me. But there is a lot of fur and a lot of hide and a lot of skin and a lot of wool and some linen and some even heavy silk burlap. It was just texture upon texture upon texture. And that's what gives the house its weight and its warmth and its Mm -hmm. coziness and... That, that was really, really fun for me to incorporate all of of those um, those different elements that come together and they all live harmoniously. And yet it's not just, I don't know, finding one thing and, and making it work. It's finding all these different things and seeing how you can put them together and uh, blend them in a way that it's not... Um, 
it's not just a hot mess. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, to me, so much of decorating these days is what I call the mosh pit approach to decorating. So you just throw in whatever you find interesting. They may be from disparate periods, eras, styles, countries. And it, I feel it takes a very sure hand to do that in a way that makes it sing. I think a lot of the times people say, oh, I can combine that Victorian sofa with this 1970s chrome coffee table. And isn't that cool? No. Mm. You know what? Sometimes it's not. <laughs> Sometimes it just looks like a hot mess. And I, you know, I think, I think you have to know a little more about, about, about art, about history, about precedent, about the decorative arts, to pull all these things together and really make them work in a way that's cohesive and and calm and not visually cacophonous, where your eye is just your eyes are bugging out because there's just too much to look at and there's too uh, you know too many disparate mm-hmm. things that are all fighting for attention in the same room. Look at me. Look at no. Look over here. No. Look over here. Um, I think it's really critical to to find a place for the eye to rest, to find a way that that pieces can speak to each other without shouting, that things live harmoniously because we want to live with our things. We don't want to be assaulted every time we come into a room and and that chair or that marble pattern or something is, you know, is yelling at me. I just, I don't want to live like that. <laughs> what does your home look like? Ooh. Well, um, I have a, I have, you a, live in a yurt. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, some days I wish, um, I live in a 1930s Spanish revival house in the Hollywood Hills. That is, I like to say it's three quarter scale. It's a really small house. <laughs> it's super charming. It's very romantic. It's got a kind of film noir vibe. There's a there's a turret with a circular staircase. Um and it's me and my husband and and Mr. Peabody and Beatrice are two Parson Russell Terriers. So it's not like I've got a big family, but it's it's small. And let's just say my closet was lacking, so I had to take over an entire room to fit <laughs> what is an obsession of sorts when it comes to clothes and shoes. But the less said about that, the better. Mm, we can talk <laughs> after. Um, um, and it is a mix of many things. The sofa in my living room belonged to my parents when they lived in the village in New York. When I was first born, it's designed by Edward Wormley for Dunbar. It is, it's a classic tuxedo sofa that will never go out of style. It's probably been recovered 169 times. There's a testament to quality. It is quality. Mm -hmm. And I love that there is the same sofa that I've got a picture of myself when I was five years old (laughs) on top of that sofa. And I've got a picture of myself, you know, last year sitting on that sofa. And there's a picture of my parents sitting on that sofa in, in Manhattan. So I've got that. I've got a few pieces that I've designed. Uh, prototypes that I made their way into the house. My Peabody sofa is named for Mr. Peabody because that's his favorite perch. <laughs> I love things. I love buying. I'm 
a shopper, born to shop, my mother's daughter. <laughs> so I have stuff and I probably have too much in this little house, but I have things that I love to live with. And occasionally they rotate out and occasionally I find a need to move something along and come in with something else. <laughs> but when I did my little house in Santa Barbara, I have a, a, a weekend house there. Again, very small house built in 1930, historic. Um, I, I wanted to start over. And I'm sure like some of your readers, I was paralyzed. I was paralyzed. I love so many different things. Mm. I'm exposed to everything. <clears throat> I There are days I want to chuck it all and start from scratch because I'm bored looking at the same dining table day after day after day that I made whatever 20 years ago. And I wanted, I want new. I can't afford to start over. I can't mm -hmm. afford to toss it and, and start from scratch. But when I had this little house, I, I knew that I didn't really have enough in inventory. I started with a Peabody sofa <laughs> in a completely different fabric um, for, for that house. But I, I didn't know what I wanted to say. Too many options. Too mm. many options. Uh -huh. Too many things that I love. Do I want to go in this direction? Do I want to go in that direction? And it was actually due to someone who used to work for me, a woman named Elisa Milholland. She moved to, she now lives in Savannah. She had moved away. She came back to LA and I had her grab me by the hair and just drag me out one day. <laughs> and we went to a shop and I stood there just shaking. I don't know, I don't know what, I don't know what. And she said, we're going to start with those two chairs. And and she kind of pushed me into the deep end uh, of the pool. And I from there, <laughs> it, it all became very obvious what I wanted to do. It looks very different from Los Angeles, uh, from the house in the Hollywood Hills. It's its own thing. It's very quiet. It's, mm -hmm. it's very neutral. Um, and it's its own expression. But for somebody who does this for a living, it I it was a challenge. You and were the client, I, I, and I I was not a great client. Mm -mm. <laughs> and you know, I, I I could have fired myself on many occasions. Well, um, you you said I wrote it right here. It must be very hard to be a client. There has to be a lot of faith and trust. You must not have enough faith and trust in yourself. In myself, <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's something that I go into with my therapist, not here in the podcast. <laughs> Um, you, you, it is hard to be a client and they are giving themselves over to you. Look, there are clients who take decorating as a combat sport and they're going to fight you every step of the way. And they, they want to win. They want to somehow see you as an adversary. And those are granted not great clients. I think every designer has had a client like that. Um, they're dealing with their own, you know, neuroses, and more often than not, it has nothing to do with you, the designer. It's their issue. Uh, but even the best clients, it's an act of blind faith. And sure, you can do renderings, and you can do renderings that look like a photograph that are so hyper-realistic, it's scary. I don't do them because <laughs> my process is an organic one, and it's an evolutionary one. And we found those chairs and those chairs led to something else. And then they led to something else. And a client once said to me, why haven't you found my dining room chandelier? And the answer is so obvious as to be absurd. 
because I haven't found it. Yeah. The minute I do, believe me, you are going to be the first to know because it's a eureka moment for me. It's mm-hmm. a um, ta-da moment. This is when I find it, I'm going to be jumping up and down because I found it, not because I was found it and was withholding right. it. It's a <laughs> I'm not going to tell you I found the perfect thing. It's just for me to know and you to find out. It's well, ridiculous. One of your projects, you already had something built. Perfect. You were going to install it. This is a fireplace, mantle, surround, whatever you want to call it. The day it was being installed, you happened upon another one that was more perfect. That was more perfect. And that one went in and you found a new home for the one that you'd custom built. Phew. That's all I can say. (laughs) Because after having, you know, people hand carve a fireplace, the, the client certainly wasn't willing to, you know, like, throw it into the dumpster. Right. But uh, so that was a very lucky break. But for me, it's all about, it's 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 the challenge of finding, you know, the French have a phrase, le mot juste, it's the right word. I say l'objet juste, it's the right object. It's the right thing. And until I find it, I haven't found it. Right. And so for me, it's not about putting a house together Uh, and doing boards that uh, say, this is what your living room is going to look like. So it is a real act of faith for Mm -hmm. someone to trust that I have their best interest at heart. I respect their budget. I respect their life, their, their, uh, their way of living, but that I want to, I want to find my way. We're, we're traveling that road together and I welcome my clients who collaborate. I have a few that you know, aren't that interesting, interested in, and maybe they're not that interesting. Right? <laughs> uh, maybe that was a Freudian slip. I'm not sure. But I do like the process of discovering a house together that even my clients who don't love shopping and the one who found those chairs, she's not a shopper. She doesn't want to go out with me, but she knows that the things I'm going to bring her are things that I really care and think are right. And occasionally she says, mm, no. And that's okay, because I know if it doesn't resonate with her, that it's not right. And I don't take offense. It's not, you know, my way or the highway. I want people to walk into their room every day and say, I love that lamp. I love that table. That means something to me. Every time I look at it, I smile or I'm or I remember where we found it, or I'm happy about it. I never want someone to walk into a room and say, I can't believe she talked me into that. I can't believe I'm living with this thing that, uh, and it's like a stranger in my house. So that's just, that's just my approach. And Mm -hmm. that's why clients really do have to want to, for the most part, be a part of it, be involved, be right. engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're if they're not, I'm that's I can do it. But it's I, maybe it's not as um, it it it's not as much a, a process. Uh-huh. You know, it's more of it's decorating. Right? Maybe it won't but have that same heartbeat. It might not. Yeah, mm-hmm. it might not. <laughs> I would take any of those heartbeats. Okay, <laughs> give me one of them. That, that which would, one would you want, Karen? Which one would I want? to live in well some of them are too big for me okay i don't need 18 bathrooms i i whatever I, right you're, you're like i'll take it yeah. <laughs> um, but i like that that um 
I, I don't remember the names, but the one that was the original with the black linoleum. I thought that was really glamorous and sexy. Yeah, it is. I like that. And there are far fewer bathrooms in that house. Okay, <laughs> I think it would be very manageable for you. I don't want to get lost. <laughs> You don't want to have to choose. Where am I going to brush my teeth today? (laughs) The red tile or the black tile? Which was your favorite in the book? Are you kidding? It's like Sophie's Choice. (laughs) Exactly. You think I'm going to answer that? (laughs) Okay. Which one would you most want to have as your home? Because I think there's there could be a difference what you would like most to live there in versus your favorite. And I look, I I love them all because I did them all. They're they're all my children, and I love them all for different reasons. Uh, the streamlined modern house, architecturally, and the site, and the 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 way the house is laid out is. There's only two bedrooms in that house. We could be roomies. So, <laughs> so yeah, you I'll could have one in. Yeah, you'll split it. And there's also yeah. a terrific guest house in <laughs> yeah, case I'm we generous, have a friend. Karen. Yeah, thanks. Um, I do. I love that house. I love the La Jolla house. Mm-hmm. And I think I love the La Jolla house because I was so intimately involved with every last detail that it feels like it came from within me. And it's a beautiful home. It's not too big. I know the sound of 13 bathrooms sounds like a lot, but it's not that big a house. Not compared to what what people are building today, whether in L.A. or Atlanta, 40,000 square feet, 60,000, 100,000. People are building homes that are just... It's it's an outrage and it's mm-hmm. uh, and it's a travesty and it's criminal, but it borders on criminal to me anyway. Because half the time, the people who move into these forty thousand square foot houses are, you know, a couple with two kids, maybe one kid, maybe no kids, mm-hmm. and you just don't need you don't need that much space. You don't even. I have clients who have bowling alleys and and tennis courts and screening rooms, and it's not twenty thousand square feet. Right. Yeah. Um, it's so I. I you know, those aren't the projects I want to do anyway. Uh, they're just, it's just rooms for the sake of rooms and space for the sake of space. These aren't mm-hmm. houses you really want to live in. They're not intimate. They're not cozy. And everyone ultimately always lives in two rooms anyway. Right. You yeah. Know. How do you see everyone? That's my question. Like, how do you even see your kids? It'd be great if you were a kid. You could hide all the time. Your parents could never, if a teenager, they'd never know what you're doing. True. Yeah. You could hide your stash of whatever anywhere. They'd yeah. never find they'd it. They'd never find it. And <laughs> yeah. you just use the intercom. Yeah. Hey, is anybody home? Yeah. Hey, mom, where are, what, what wing are you in? Yes. You know, <laughs> a palace is fine if you're a royal and you, and you have staff for that and staff like that. But otherwise, most people don't, yeah. they just don't need that that much room it's just it's absurd <laughs> agreed i think we should do some decorating dilemmas or a decorating a de- dilemma, a dilemma? Yes. will I, you help us with a dilemma today if i can solve a problem then then my day has been worthwhile you're a problem solver <laughs> this question is from helena and she says hi i love your podcast i listen almost daily trying to catch up on current episodes. What to do if your house style doesn't match your decorating style? Mm. I've heard many times that we should pay attention to the architecture of the home when choosing furnishings. To be honest, I hate my home. I live in (laughs) Phoenix, where almost all of the houses are tan, stucco, builder, tracked homes, with a garage on the front, facade, and zero personality. That's what I live in. If I could choose a different home, it would be something charming from the 1920s, but those are few and far between here. The traditional furnishings that I love would look great in a 20s house, but they don't look right in my modern tract home. And I personally don't like a modern Southwest style in decorating what to do. Oh, my. (laughs) Are you going to say move? 
Well, <laughs> I do feel sorry for someone who who lives in a home that they that they hate. That doesn't seem life is short after all, and you might want to consider finding <laughs> the right house for you. What I what I really want to say is hire a professional uh-huh. because honestly, it's not easy. What mm-hmm. we do, I'm not doing this because I have nothing else to do with my days, and you know my my kids are now off at school. This is a profession, and there are there are enormous challenges when when designing a home and. Obviously, you know, first and foremost is layout and and colors and uh, scale, proportion, furniture, selection, budgets, all of these things come into consideration. I think for her, the, the best advice I could give, aside from hiring someone to help you or moving, which <laughs> clearly is not an option uh, for this woman, is to is to find examples of of neutral background, spaces that have a very neutral background. I don't think you should take a house that's a builder special and I would never suggest, well, put up some crown molding or panel the walls Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. something like that. But there are beautiful wall coverings that you could use in a very plain house. There are fabulous textured grass cloths that might give the home some personality. You're never going to make it look Georgian and you're never going to make it look... um, uh, you know, English Tudor, right? And that would just be false. So, you know, trying to embellish something like that and fancify it is just going to fall flat. But I think the idea of using paint, wall coverings, I love wall coverings. Paint's terrific. Don't get me wrong. We we use a lot of paint and we we do all kinds of treatments to it. But there's oftentimes a textured paper, a grass cloth, something that, or something that has a strie or a, or a paperback linen, it can give so much depth and richness and substance to a room. A lot of bang for the buck in that. And so mm-hmm. you could start to create a very neutral interior. And again, looking at precedents, looking at magazines, finding interiors that have used antiques, vintage pieces, if that's what she means by historical furniture and seeing how they are when they're juxtaposed against a very clean space. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes that makes an antique look very fresh. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people today are afraid of using antiques or brown furniture, but even in the cleanest room, you could put a gilded console in the most modernist space, white walls, concrete floors, you could put a gilded console and it would look like a million bucks. It would mm-hmm. look so chic because of that juxtaposition. Right. Again, I think that takes a sure hand. Right. I think it takes confidence. I, it's not for the faint of heart um, or um, or not for someone who's who can't afford to make a mistake. Right. There might be a lot of trial and error in this. Yeah. yeah. What, what we do, and one of the reasons that I think is is the strongest argument for hiring a designer is because at least the the ones who are truly competent we don't make mistakes we don't hire if, um uh, hire people who can't do the job we don't buy <clears throat> furniture that doesn't fit we don't purchase things that aren't the right scale or proportion uh we actually everything you know is very thought through and we do plans and we and we um 
you know, we, we have a background of, of knowledge and experience that helps avoid costly errors. Again, in this woman's case, I think finding inspiration imagery that shows how you can use different antiques and different pieces in a more modern space or a, a space that lacks personality, there's no reason that she can't bring in some really interesting things. Yeah, uh, Some may be vintage, some may be uh, proper antiques, meaning over 100 years old. Maybe there's a vintage light fixture. All of this brought together some textured rugs. You, you, There's no reason that you can't introduce furniture of worth and value and visual interest to a bland space to make it less bland and ignore what's on the outside and uh, and and create an environment on the inside that reflects what she wants it to say without having to hew to the whatever the predominant look is on the exterior. Right, right. So that would be my advice. I, I think that's great. Yeah, yeah I agree. Well, and also, I mean, there has to be some part of the Southwest that she likes, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a color palette or a textile, I don't know, like a rug. And those could help. But I mean, it doesn't you know, have merge. to feel Southwesty at all, right? Well, and that's why I'm saying like, maybe it's a color palette. Right. It could be as, I don't know, um, can I, simple as you want it to be, I guess, right? you know? I, I'd, I'd love to interject here if yes, I can, please. because amusingly enough, I was interviewed for El Decor uh, for this month's issue, and they said it, it was their 30th anniversary. And they said, "What styles from the past, from 30 years ago, are you going to miss?" And because I thought it would be funny, <laughs> I said Santa Fe style, <laughs> English country house, and Art Deco revival. And then in my response, I said, just kidding. Mm-hmm. Well, they did not print. No. Just kidding. No. So it looks as though if you were to read this 60 Seconds with Madeline Stewart, that I really miss Santa Fe style. Now, Santa Fe style in and of itself was awful. However, when I was in Santa Fe last year, what is really Santa Fe style Georgia O'Keeffe's house, you wouldn't say is Santa Fe style, but it is Santa Fe. There is authentic, extraordinary style in and around Santa Fe mm-hmm. that speaks to that place. And there are Navajo weavings. And a lot of the people who moved to Santa Fe early on, like Millicent Rogers, one of my style icons, and and Mabel Dodge Lewin, they brought English antiques with them. Mm -hmm. That is Santa Fe style. Mm -hmm. So there are aspects of Santa Fe style, which, no, that my answer was supposed to be flip and funny. (laughs) And if anyone out there read that and thought I was being serious, just disregard, disregard. However, for this woman, finding elements of Santa Fe style in Georgia O'Keeffe would be a perfect place to start. Her house is an inspiration to me, uh, as is Millicent Rogers, as is Mabel Dodge Lewin, uh, whose house you can visit now. It was owned for a long time by Dennis Hopper. Must have been quite the 
quite the place uh, when he was there. <laughs> uh, but there were English antiques, and there was, a, you know, the the interiors uh, were very spare and simple, but using uh, woods and weavings and baskets and and and, and rugs, textiles could be kind of fabulous, actually, if she was interested in embracing that look and not what not what became you, yes. mm-hmm. ucky, Santa Fe style, P.U. stinky, no. Um, <laughs> so I, I think, but I think there is something that might be an inspiration for her in mm-hmm. the legitimate Santa Fe style. She, she could look into that. Yeah. Oh, and we'll I put some links. S- yes. Oh. To it, won't you, Caroline? Yes, I use the royal we. Yeah. I know Caroline does it. <laughs> yes, Karen, I will. Yes, we will. Um, I want to go see Georgia O'Keeffe's house now. In, cool, Evercreek. It's really, really cool. extraordinary. Okay, thank you so much. Yeah. That was awesome. Well, thank you. This is so much fun for me. Oh, I, fun for I actually us. am so passionate about about what I do and about and and. I love I love talking about it. So thank you for not having to get the hook to get me off. No, the joy <laughs> no. on your face is yes. fun to behold, mm. for sure. Thank you so much. I, I I love what you guys do, and I am so um, honored and delighted to have spent the day with you. Thank, so thank you. you. Thank you. Well, tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, f- uh, look at your book, find your book, buy it. Everyone go buy the book. Oh, please do. <laughs> Please do. And uh, so you want me to tell them? Yeah. Yes, oh, would, oh, that'd, that'd be great. great. Your All Instagram. Right. Well, or... my, my book is No Place Like Home, published by Rizzoli. Um, well worth the the cost. Um, and available everywhere, Rizzoli.com, Amazon.com, uh, your neighborhood bookstore. My Instagram page is Madeline D. Stewart. D is for Diana. My office keeps thinking I should change it because they're afraid no one's going to find me there. But... You come up I'm, with just Madeline Stewart. You good. can tell them. That's okay. good. Um, so Madeline D. Stewart and my website is uh, madelinestewart.com. And as long as you don't spell me like Martha, uh, they should oh, be able to find oh, Stewart. S-T-U-R-T. You're yes. the royal Stewart. Exactly. Mm. Mm-hmm. Let's get it straight, exactly. people. Yes. <laughs> that's it. All right. That's our show. Thank you for listening. You can leave us a review in your podcast app. Send your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. We will uh, link to the book and Madeline's Instagram and her website and all that stuff in the show notes, which are at howtodecorate.com slash podcast. Follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. And don't forget to enable your how to decorate skill in your Alexa or in your Amazon account. So you can listen to us from Alexa. By the way, I want to add, only leave your positive reviews. <gasps> we like you. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> if you have a negative review, keep it to yourself. That's right. Yes. <laughs> we have very fragile egos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and until next time, happy, happy decorating. decorating. Bye.